0: And welcome to the Unhinged History podcast, the podcast where two people who struggle to count to four meet up and try to tell each other stories about history.
1: <laughs> I'm Teresa. I'm Angie. That was amazing.
0: I don't know where that came from. Um, so keep it. I love it. Right. I mean, I don't think I've ever struggled to count to four unless it was in a foreign language, and even then, it depends on the language.
1: Yeah, I think it would really depend on the language. Because I think once you get past three, four's right there, you know?
0: I mean, you would think.
1: Yeah. Unless you're really hungry and you're trying to tell them you would like four tacos. You know, what, what is hilarious
0: to me is Mike was do, was on Duolingo. This was a while ago now. And he he said this, you know, he showed me a word. He goes, what's this word? And I went, oh, that's like the number three. And he goes, no. San is number three. It's like, yeah, but that's if you're counting just standard. But if you're counting cylindrical objects, you say it like this. If you're counting animals, you say it like this. If you're counting ships, you say it. And he goes, oh, what? I was <laughs> like, yeah, they have different counting systems. And he looked at me like I was lying to him and trying to really railroad his education in a foreign language.
1: <laughs> um, I love that. And were you
0: no no I was being <laughs> legitimate but the person because we were at Annie's force fighting lessons and there was a, another parent behind us and she was listening and she just went I
1: I gotta I go. don't like any
0: of this like <laughs> this is why I'm not learning Japanese
1: that is hilarious poor Mike I mean, so what have you been up to um we had you know another busy week trying to trying to get our acts together my oldest son keeps reminding me that school starts in just a couple of weeks and i keep reminding him that he has his own two feet he could walk that's not true he can't walk that no far, but to say but like anyway. wait
0: it's not true that he doesn't have two feet because i've met both <laughs> sons i can i can you vouch for their, for their feet? their number of feet
1: uh no it's it's this that i i would never tell him he could actually make that walk because there is a whole like two mile section of it that is like highway.
0: I mean, but have you seen the Japanese show Old Enough, where they have like toddlers running errands where the toddler is sent alone for a half mile walk to the grocery store with a ten dollar bill and just expected to pick up the four very specific items and walk home.
1: I have heard of it. I have not seen it. I I think I might have seen a clip of one once, but um this has been this has been all the son's like biggest gripe in life is that I won't let him walk from anywhere that we li- like where we live to anywhere else because he's, there is no way he's to past the kidnapping size. He is past the kidnapping size, but he what he has not passed is the um dumb drivers hitting him where there is no place to stand size. Oh, you know what? That that
0: checks. I I concede,
1: right. So there's, like, no sidewalks in our immediate area. PETA, I do let him ride his bike into town. Like, he can do that. But into into the main town, no, it's too far. Mm. There's there's too much open highway with no shoulder or anything for, for him to be safe on. And he thinks that I'm just a big curmudgeon. And I'm cool with that. You know, live your best life, bud.
0: You know, we have to hate our parents for something. And it's better that than... Hating who he is as a person.
1: You know, I feel like uh, he thinks that I'm the villain now, but one day he's going to be like, oh, I get it.
0: Yeah, I have kids. I, I, I too, don't want them mowed down by a 1957 Chevy, it, it, which it would be an iconic way to go. I mean, if you're going to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he almost, he's almost a driving age anyway, so I'm not worried about it anymore.
0: that's fair and then you could make him cart his younger brother around and free up angie's time
1: he is going to be my uber driver
0: it's gonna be great at first you know because he's gonna be like yeah i can drive anywhere i want and it's gonna be hey bud here's a five dollar bill go get me some sour cream but i wanted to no you're gonna go get me some sour cream
1: he literally okay the amount of times so right down the street from our house we have like the little, the little town, right? So it's just like maybe a quarter mile away. And there's like a little bodega type grocery store,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Right there on the main street. The amount of times I have sent him with his backpack to go get me like the random one thing. Like, I need you yeah. to get me green onions. <laughs> I need you to get me whatever. And he loves doing it. But one time I sent him to get... I feel like this is going to sound silly, but I feel like it was eggs. And he did not take his backpack with him. He was, like, trying to figure out how to get home. <laughs> it was something like eggs. Like, if it was, it was something, like, delicate like that. So if it I mean, wasn't... eggs, eggs, just go with <laughs> eggs.
0: You know, for the sake of the story, he had to get eggs. And if, if he's going to be like, Mom, it was grenades. Or whatever. He, who knows?
1: He didn't think about it till he got there and realized he did not have his backpack. So how he was going to get back without them.
0: <laughs> so... I have a similar story, but one I completely did to myself. Okay. There was a, so living in Japan, um, I ended up hearing that they had this, I think it was called like the friendship boat or something, but this big boat that traveled the world that had a ton of books on it. um, It was pulling into the port in my city. And okay. I was like, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see what they have. And I got there and they had like, a copy of Frankenstein and I'd left my copy in the U S and they had, for whatever reason, they had an unabridged dictionary that I I needed. I needed. <laughs> and so I bought it. Right. And so I, I have my two books. I'm so stoked. I'm starting to come home. And then I realized I didn't have a backpack. And because the way I was living in Japan was basically all cash based. I didn't have money for a taxi because i had blown it on the dictionary and this dictionary is freaking heavy and the plastic handbag is cutting into all of my flesh no matter where i try to situate it (laughs) and i'm walking the who knows how long it was back to the house and i'm thinking i know that the joy of this was an unabridged dictionary but do i need the section of x because it's (laughs) really heavy
1: could I just remove a handful of letters I wasn't fond of to begin with? Right, like <laughs> this is this is
0: not my my favorite move. And I got all the way back to the house, and I don't know what my hands look like afterwards. But you
1: eventually just like wrap them up in the bag and carry them all a schoolgirl like you know i i
0: think i kind of did thing. a bit of everything i'm sure there was a chunk of time they were balanced on my head like i was carrying water back from the river
1: <laughs> okay you know we all have our learning moments yours was a unabridged dictionary with the entire section of x
0: and your son's was a carton of eggs it really, he,
1: and if i remember right he made it back with no uh spillage he did good because he was
0: afraid of having to go back and get another thing of eggs because you would have said no i needed the full dozen
1: like i don't know what you were doing but
0: we're, we're making wild. devil's eggs like deviled eggs i need the full the full carton
1: he loves deviled eggs i guarantee you that if he would have broke one he would have just turned around and got, went back on his own like yeah, because he fully, like that's what he's told me like it recently like, that one. he understands that once he gets his license that he he knows he's my grocery getter. Yeah, But he fully embraces the idea because now he can go to the store and buy the things. And get the snack without mom telling him no. <laughs> mm, see, and that's the joy. <laughs> like, hey, you know what, if that's if that's your driving factor, buy all the beef jerky you want, buddy.
0: <laughs> so. I gotta say, I am interested in hearing your story. Are you? I am.
1: Why? What if I? What if I said?
0: You haven't like given me any hints that I've gone like Angie. What have you got for me this time? But I feel like I'm bringing an Angie story today, and I don't know if you're bringing a Teresa story.
1: I. Okay, I. I'll go first then. I don't know who's who whose story this is but what I will tell you is that I heard about it first from a um Facebook post that I thought was an advertisement for like a Kindle book
0: this is already sounding like an Angie story
1: I, I know absolutely was and I read the post and I was like this is wild no way and then I had to google it because I didn't believe that it was it ended up being some like article from some obscure Facebook group that was like advertising, you know, like you might like this group type thing. Yeah. And I was like, huh, okay. So I googled it and lo and behold, it it was a it was a real story about real people. And I was like, okay, I freaking love this. And I planned on holding it in my back pocket for a while until I realized today that um we're recording in the morning and I have places to drive so I can't be drinking any mint juleps (laughs) so I chose this story okay so um my sources Mm -hmm. are an article on womeninexploration.org a another mental floss article because they are just so much fun Tara ross.com she has a um a blog post about it um which didn't i didn't read heavily into but i really liked the way she told the story and then an expeditionportal.com pioneers of moto history the van buren sisters 1916 ride across america have you ever heard of the van buren sisters no okay cool
0: but I am loving that they started a riot.
1: No, they didn't. I'm sorry, not a riot, a ride.
0: Oh well, ride r i d e. That changes the tenor of the subject.
1: But just hold on, because you might still end up loving it regardless.
0: <laughs> You're right. Like so... the fact that it's not a riot that has me upset. I think I have. <laughs> I have. To, I've, I'll be back. I got to call my therapist.
1: Oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> um. So my story starts on the eve of the U.S. entering World War One. Two sisters of a well-to-do upbringing want to help in the war effort in any way they can. So this is a story of Augusta and Adeline. Um, they go. They prefer their nicknames of Gussie and Addie. Gussie was born uh in March of 1884. She's the eldest sister, and Addie was born in July of 1889. They were born into the upper wealthy echelons of New York society, um, descendants of the eighth president, Martin Van Buren.
0: Okay, that's what I would have who, assumed.
1: Right, I know. Who I learned in my search about them was actually the first president to be born a citizen of the United States. Like, repeat just—he was the first president to be born as a citizen of the United States. He was okay. born in seventeen eighty-two. Yeah, which I thought okay. that was really interesting. Um, however, English was not technically his first language. He's he, Dutch was what was spoke at home.
0: You know, Van Buren. I you, right. I could make those kind of things, but I mean, shoot, my last name is Potrats, and I don't speak Polish, so
1: here we are. <laughs> um, but this is the story about him. I just thought that was those were some interesting facts I learned while making the connection um but this is a story of his descendants the van buren sisters Uh, their childhood in my opinion could be characterized as very non-traditional for the time their mother died when they were young and their father raised them right alongside their brother so they swam they canoed they dove they boxed they played outside (laughs) so this is some very julie doffney vibes yeah but without um the the negative parts of julie Dobney's younger life (laughs) she was allowed Um,
0: to wear pants and learned how to fence
1: She did okay but but, like didn't become
0: the mistress well i'm assuming they don't become the mistress of dad's boss
1: right these girls did not become dad's boss mistresses um one of the things that they loved to do was motorcycles they loved to ride motorcycles and how in my opinion like how absolutely scandalous in 1916 is that for a high society lady to do right um
0: could you imagine real quick you're sitting at your formal dinner you've got the the silver that's been shined and polished you've got the courses lined up in the servant's kitchen waiting to come out and then two harleys pull up in the front yard (laughs)
1: yes (gasps) i say charles did you invite them again
0: (laughs) yeah pretty much like that just sounds brilliant
1: I 100% believe that was these women t- in in a nutshell. Um, and I think it's, it's awesome because, you know, they're living in a time when, like, one article called it, like, the women of society in their gilded cages, right? Like, they're expected to be pretty and host parties and raise children. Like, that's it, right? Yeah. And these women were like, yeah, no, no we will do no such thing. So they get involved. Previous to the U.S. entering World War I, they get heavily involved with something called the National Preparedness Movement. Are you familiar with what this is? Because I was not. I had no clue that this was a thing.
0: No, but this makes me automatically go to the Boy Scouts creed or motto.
1: Okay, so kind of like that. Yeah, this was a campaign to increase military capabilities and convince the nation that we needed to be involved in the effort and prepared for the war at hand. So, like, yeah. Be prepared. <laughs> Where's your Swiss army knife? Um, these girls were all about that. They were also um, suffragettes. So they wanted the right to vote and they were going to get it one way or the other. So they come up with an idea. Their idea sets out to prove two things. One, that American women and women in general can survive the harsh realities outside of their gilded cages. And be useful on the front lines, even if not in a combat situation.
0: I cannot wait to see how they prove
1: this. (laughs) They want to show the U.S. Army that they can participate in the war effort as dispatch riders for the military dispatch.
0: What is a dispatch rider?
1: So my understanding is like you get your orders you get your telegram or whatever your inf- whatever your information packet is, you hop on a motorcycle and you drive from point A to point B, but that could be a several thousand mile trip, a several hundred mile trip, or just down the street. Okay. But so the sh- street they're going to
0: Nancy Wake it, but on motorcycles and not bicycles.
1: Right. Um. But at this time, women are banned from military, you know, they, they but can't- But those calls,
0: yeah. Yeah. We can't. Right? You know, my boobs get in the way of a lot of things.
1: And your ovaries stop you from thinking.
0: You know, honestly, I mean, how (laughs) how long was it that we weren't allowed on trains that went 20 miles an hour because they were afraid our uteruses were going
1: to fly out of our bodies? (laughs) I mean, exactly. Right? So, and I think this is really stupid. The government won't allow women to be in combat. And then they turn around and say women don't have the right to vote because they can't serve their country. It's, it's just like circular a, logic. It's so stupid. So they're they're out to to solve both problems. We will get the right to vote and we can prove that we can be useful at some capacity, whatever you, that may be. You know, and this really
0: bothers me because we have historical figures like Catalina de Arraso who did a lot of very male dominated work, lived as a dude mm-hmm. under the supervision of dudes mm-hmm. and outduted the dudes. like she Every was time. more brutal than the conquistadors in murdering indigenous peoples, outdoed all of them. And it was still like, yeah, but you know she she's a, a nun. Yeah, she she's yeah, her her <laughs> boobs are in the way. It's like, no, she she very successfully like dated your wife and your sister.
1: <laughs> she even out wooed him. Right. Like <laughs> she's more dude than you. Yes. And that that is, I fully believe what these girls like. They their whole point was that we we can do it like we are not something to be kept in a jewel box like right. we we're tough we can handle it um and so they but so, so they're going to have to prove this right because not only do they have to prove that they can survive just the harsh exterior conditions like the weather and things like that but they also have to prove that they can handle the motorcycles themselves so they have to be able to mechanically fix them with their own tools without a support staff okay and they are driving through so basically at this point anything west of mississippi is not really mapped as far as roads go and there are really not well-known roads they could be driving through cow pastures wagon trails dirt trails like there's not an interstate at this point so they also have to prove that they can handle that like the, just the navigating of it alone had to be a, a monumental feat, right? So, um, the terras.com article says this about the road: "quote Impossible, impossible roads, unseasonable weather, and difficulties untold, in untold number and magnitude, were encountered at every turn." A contemporary newspaper article reported: "Washout." mountainsides desert wastes and wrecked bridges delayed them but did not deter them incessant rains in colorado made riding conditions the worst imagin- imaginable and those terrific days were followed by an equally ardent week in crossing the great american desert in western utah so like they went through it yeah. right um I think a lot of people back then could have probably called this a publicity stunt because here you are seeing these two high society ladies just donning their motorcycles and they're gonna go out and get some pictures, but they not for them. They meant every mile of it. Um so and they actually had to like train their bodies for this. Like you don't just hop on your motorcycle and go for a five thousand mile ride.
0: Like, no, you I mean have you've got to, to work
1: on your core. The whole thing, right? So they train by taking longer and longer rides farther and farther until it's not such a physical drain and not such a mental drain as well. Um, So they get a hold of two 410-pound, roughly. I heard one of them could have been 430 pounds, but we're going to say 410 for the sake of the story. Pound Indian Power Plus motor. Model motorcycles, which sold for roughly $275. Today, that would be $7,924 each. Okay. And you needed to know. Yeah. I'm such a motorcycle
0: enthusiast. That's the one thing that you know about me.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, These would have been considered top of the line in the day, and they had, quote, Firestone non skid tires and gas headlights that would allow them to barrel through the darkest nights. So they're even driving at night. Terrifying. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, I'm not really sure how gas headlights are safe, but like it's 1916, so who am I to judge? Like, <laughs> I mean, look, it, in the grand scheme of things, we just
0: left the era where we had arsenic wallpaper.
1: I guess that's true. Um, one of the things that they did lack, like, though, were helmets. So what they did have were those um cool leather caps and the goggles. Okay,
0: you know? I mean. Honestly, I think you just need to affix some blades to that, so that when you fall, it just severs your head and you feel nothing. That feels like the the thing that should happen.
1: Okay, live your life. Um, as well, and the, and and of course, you know they're writing letters, right? Okay, so I do have pictures if you want to see them. But of course, but of course, okay, because I these girls are just absolutely adorable. Can you see them? Oh, now you can. Okay,
0: so she is showing me some <laughs> black and white. Oh, the first image is black and white of these two faces with ear to ear grins. They probably had a bath 3 days ago, <laughs> maybe if they're lucky. <laughs> right. Um like they the one on the left, what is it? Not Angela Augusta?
1: Augusta, yeah, Augusta okay, Gussie and there, then Adeline. There's
0: some shadowing on the teeth that could just be straight up bugs. Um <laughs>
1: But it, or it could just be
0: the shadowing, you know, like I take your pick. But they are the the quintessential like 1920s oh, daredevils. Yeah.
1: Absolutely right. Like look at this. Look at look at how fantastic they are. Look at those boots.
0: So the second image is an image in Sepia, where yeah, like we're talking riding boots flat bottomed that go to the thigh
1: they're magnificent. Um and th- the third one, this is my favorite image. Like they, they somehow
0: kept a shirt white.
1: Somehow managed to keep a shirt white, but what what I think is most important about this image is despite what they were going through, they did not stop smiling. Like they we're here to bring the spirit and the the joy and the proof that like we can do it and we don't we don't need no man here we I'm are gonna, i'm going to i'm going to call hogwash the f- images
0: we have of them all smite like there are going to be times where they are yelling and screaming and throwing stuff and angry that they can't get the damn nut off
1: i mean i'm sure that there were some moments but like that's that is what everybody said about them at the time like they they just had an indomitable spirit we're here to smile and and bring bring the show you know that image
0: right there of them on the hillside overlooking a valley you can't tell me that wasn't taken up in your neck of the woods
1: i i I was wondering that too when i saw this because it very very much looks like california in right (laughs) like
0: if you told me that's up by Coulterville, i'd be like yeah okay
1: could have been. I mean, I was thinking when I when I was looking at, the, I was thinking like San Francisco, like the Napa Valley, like very okay, Napa the Valley San Francisco area. area
0: because San Francisco yeah. is like the wharf, the very top. Like it's been a city. No, for no, no, a... not okay, not the right. city
1: part, but that area. Like it. Has all right, that all right, the all right. The so just rural trees. Bay Bay Area. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I just wanted to include those pictures because I think they're they're absolutely amazing. So. Now I need to get back to my notes the right way. Here we go. So on the 4th of July, which I think is amazing, of 1916, the ladies aged 32 and 26. So they are, they are old maids at this No, point. no, no.
0: They are, they are beyond <laughs> old maids. Like, I think what is, what is the thing? Cause we've sent that meme back and forth on like oh, spinster yeah. is up until you're 26. And then uh. from 27 to 30, you're labeled like,
1: yeah not heretic um, but i mean it was a whole thing it's a whole thing yeah they're they're the next they're the next one up (laughs) right yeah um so but at this point they are both still unmarried they are they have careers they have jobs they're doing stuff
0: they're society Um, women so they're still on dad's payroll let's be honest here
1: um gussie was actually a stenographer
0: oh i take it back and
1: um Addie was a teacher up to this point okay So just keep that in mind they are Um, career
0: women okay this (laughs) this does color how i feel about them they went from less i'll do what i want to do to i am an independent woman i will do what i want to (laughs) do it's it's you know same tone well different tone same words
1: yeah yeah um so they like i said it's the 4th of july they set out from new york city um so they want to stop and pay their respects at the factory that built their motorcycles So that's Springfield, Massachusetts, and then they make it to just outside of Chicago before they encounter the first of their problems. What do you think it was?
0: Outside of Chicago, outside of Chicago. I'm going to say there was a cow in the motorway and they hit it.
1: No, (laughs) it was pants. It was their pants.
0: When are pants the problem?
1: <laughs> well, Pants well, are the
0: solution for women.
1: Uh, usually, yeah. So while women's fashion at this time was going through a major change, like the ladies were leaving the corsets home and opting for more flowy, comfortable attires, pants were still considered illegal for women to be seen wearing in most states. Uh... <laughs> and the Van Buren's are obviously wearing pants for the whole journey and were arrested several times. So imagine it, it's like October. You have your favorite military style know, on, or in our case, they probably look more like our outfits probably look more like Han Solo, but fine, whatever, you get the picture. And those are amazing boots that you have been dying to wear since summer started, right? Like for us, that is just a change of season. But for them, it was being arrested. Anytime they went through a little small town or um you know anywhere outside of a major metropolis was basically like zoned to be arrested for wearing pants
0: erwin erwin do you see those two women i believe they are wearing pants you can see air between their
1: legs someone should call the sheriff i, they I have am a offended. visible thigh gap <gasps> the point i and i love this um so like i said they were arrested several times To the point that years later, Addie's daughter would say, "Quote, but each time they were were released with only a reprimand, provided they got out of town fast." Can you imagine? I'm gonna let you off the hook, but you and your pants, you gotta go.
0: Well, okay. So, (laughs) my cousin, so my my cousins, they and their family, they they hunt quite a bit, and they go up to like Montana or some real small, I think Montana, but some real small town to do their hunting, and. At one point, because I guess you can drink at a younger age, you don't have to be 21 where they were, or at least they don't enforce it. There was there was something like that. But I remember thinking my cousin was way too young to be drinking with me at a bar. And he goes, yeah, so I was <laughs> at a bar with my dad when we were hunting. And we see these two men absolutely shit-faced. And you do? the deputy comes in and just basically goes, Steve, Brian, you, you two need to stop drinking how are you getting home? You're driving home, drive fast, just drive fast and get home. And I was just like, that's, that's not the advice that should be given. It should be. <laughs> I'm just going to take you in the back of my cruiser. I'm going to get you boys home. You can hitchhike back here tomorrow. I don't know. I don't tell you. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pick you up after church. It's fine. <laughs> right. I mean, but it's still just like that happened. And so to hear like, just, just
1: get out of jail and get out of town quick.
0: You know, it's just like yeah. okay. So that is that is the mindset.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So between the small town police and nosy ladies outside on their front porch calling their husbands in to come gawk at this, and the bad weather, their one month trip turns into a two month trip. So they are Yet raising whaling.
0: bail is kind of difficult there. So I <laughs> I get it.
1: So in August of nineteen sixteen. The ladies reached the Colorado, the Colorado Rockies and earned the first of their records. They were the first women to reach the summit of Pikes Peak at 14,109 feet with a motor vehicle. Okay. However, they were very behind schedule and decided to take a more direct path through the Rockies instead of north through Wyoming. Um, but the mountains had received so much rain that year that the dirt paths that they would have taken were turned to sticky gross mud that trapped their tires and the mental Floss article gives a great description here saying quote exhausted freezing and filthy from their fruitless efforts to free their wheels the dejected duo were forced to abandon their bikes and seek out help on foot hours and miles later the sisters slid out of the darkness upon the small mining town of Gilman, colorado they were quite the sight to the odd miners two angel-faced ladies draped in leather and caked in mud angel faced <laughs> angel faced ladies draped in leather and caked in mud the miners give them food and they look after them while they rest and then they help them get the- their bikes out of the mud then a hundred miles west of salt lake city the wind had sent the desert path away like it had just wiped the path clean and the ladies found themselves very low on water and probably spirits at this point as well in my opinion this is probably the one time they were like well this sucks we have no water we have no path it's a thousand degrees outside what are we going to do right when along comes another miner or prospector, or whatever you want to call him with his horse and cart which are packed with supplies and he has a great sense of direction so he gets them going the right way gets them all sorted the great sense of direction spears- he
0: probably also lives there that's easy to have a great sense of direction when this is your home turf
1: Uh, Yeah, but when you have no roads with which to mark by, I'm sure that that was still a little bit of... I was excited, Teresa. My story's almost over. (laughs) So, with renewed spirits and some fresh water, they set out. By September 2nd, they reach San Francisco. And then, on September 8th, they complete their goal of making it all the way to L.A. They continue on to to the Mexican border. If you're curious, they returned home to New York via the South Pacific Railway, which I, for one, was very curious. Like, did they drive all the way back to New York on their motorcycles, or did they come back a different way? Um, so they returned home to New York on the South Pacific Railway. They earned all kinds of headlines. Most of them were unwanted or rude, and or totally ignored the fact that the riders were women, but the one that I particularly hate is the Denver Post would say that essentially these sisters used the war as a way to abandon their family duties at home and quote, serving as an excellent excuse for women to stay away from home, to display physical prowess in various fields of masculine superiority, and to display their feminine contours in nifty khaki and leather uniforms. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Let them do what they want. So basically it's like,
0: these broads should be baking brownies for the war effort, but they're choosing to wear skin-tight leathers and show off them hips.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much. And they are not at home making babies. I mean, you know, to be fair, those articles would get written today. I know, and that's why it makes me so mad. It, it's so We've come so but... far, Angie. Look at this. I know, right? But while they were unable to convince the Army to approve their applications as dispatch riders, or for women in general, not just themselves, some ladies would eventually be used for that job in World War II. But these ladies would become the first women to ride motorcycles coast-to-coast and summit Pikes Peak in Colorado. Real quick, though, I would like to tell you that they did not just go off into obscurity. Addie, the youngest, would go home and continue teaching her, jo- her, continue her teaching job while also learning her law degree in a time when female lawyers were not a thing. So, wait, what year is this? 1916. Okay. So, this
0: is at the same time as my girl, Grace Humiston.
1: I thought they were pretty close. I was thinking about that while I was writing this. So, like, there are few and far between in the female lawyers department, right?
0: I mean, Gussie, yeah, Considering that they have the opportunity to become lawyers, as crazy as it is, but they cannot vote for said laws.
1: Yeah, I think that is a bit weird as well. Um, Gussie, with her motto of "Women can if she will," continued work as a stenographer until she became a pilot and flew with Amelia Earhart's ninety-nine. Did you have you ever heard of Amelia Earhart's ninety-nine? No. Neither had I. And I think it's it's this really interesting um, group of lady pilots. So there were 99 of them to begin with out of the 285 licensed female pilots at the time who form a group to support each other mutually in social recruitment and business opportunities. So and there's still yeah. a group today. Yeah. It's an international now, group now.
0: I would be curious as to if Bessie Coleman was a part of that because my fear is that maybe she was excluded because she was Black.
1: I don't know. I'll have to look. Because I was wondering the same thing. They do have a... um, The organization does have a website. And I think you you can use that website to see who was formerly a part of the group and who is currently a part of the group, which I think is pretty cool. And then I would like to end my story with two things. Firstly, I would like to point out that in 1915... Effie Hotchkiss made the same journey only with her mother called Davis riding shotgun in a sidecar. <laughs> Can you Dang, imagine Yes, right? So while Effie and Avis did it first, they did it different. so the Van Buren the Van Buren sisters got credit being the first to do it on individual bikes. but either way, all four of these ladies are bas- badasses and I hope to cover Effie and Avis one day because they're pretty fabulous also. I mean, the names alone. Right? And when you... I didn't I didn't include the picture, but the, the picture of Effie and Avis has... Effie is the daughter, and she is on the motorcycle. And a- Avis is sitting in the sidecar, and she is exactly what you would imagine a post-Victorian proper lady to be. Like, she's in her long day coat, sitting prim and proper in the sidecar and just happy to be along for the ride. <laughs> and I think... That is the single greatest thing of the whole story is is Miss Miss Avis taking her daughter for a tour.
0: If my mother daughter relationship with kiddo doesn't look like that when I'm older, I I don't want it.
1: That's what I literally said that to, to Ian this morning when I was telling him that part of the story. I was like, if if I'm not that kind of supportive parent, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> if, yeah, if my kid doesn't want to go cross country with me in a sidecar. I have failed.
1: Right. Exactly. My exact thoughts. I was like, if this is not me and Ethan in 10 years, I've done something terribly wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Because he is absolutely the one that would put grab a motorcycle and with a sidecar and be like, hey, mom. Owen would be like, um, how about we just sit on the couch and snuggle for the next six months? What do you think? (laughs) And I'm here for that, too. You know? I mean,
0: look, you just set up your calendar, right? You can do both.
1: Right. I mean, their love languages are both so different, and I'm here for both of them. Um, And lastly, of all the stuff that I consumed while learning about this, I think that the Mental Floss article says it best. Quote, while their journey didn't deliver the immediate impact the sisters had hoped for, Today, they are remembered as pioneers for women and motorcyclists alike. Addie and Gussie's courageous spirit and intense independence is celebrated by descendants and admirers who have kept their legacy alive through cross-country rides that trace their path on the trip's both 90th and 100th anniversary. Their great, great niece, Sarah Van Buren, even learned to ride so she could participate in the, an- the 100- 100th anniversary ride in 2016. Oh, hell yes. Right? I think that is so fantastic. Like, get it, girls. I'm here for your sense of adventure. Let's do the thing. Yeah. And that's my story. Say Finny. Finny.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. I love that. And I will say that that was probably a Teresa story. Oh, good. Good. Which is great, because do you know about the Great New England Vampire Panic?
1: I love the Great New England Vampire Panic. (laughs) Yes! Hit me. I'm here for it. Okay.
0: My sources. uh, Started off in a Smithsonian Magazine article, The Great New England Vampire Panic by Abigail Tucker. A Damned Connecticut article, The Jewel, The Jewett City Vampires Griswold by Ray Bendici. And the podcast "Gabin in the Woods" episode seventy nine, the Jewett City Vampires.
1: The podcast is called "Gabin in the Woods." Like we had a good gab. Yeah, yeah. I love as that. in,
0: and it's it's two Australians. It's 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 a okay. So they do a decent job. They're very similar to us, but they have a lot of Australian banter. Okay. And so it is, it's is incredibly obscene. <laughs> like I put our explicit tag on here just because we occasionally slip up and say something there is no occasionally with these two
1: i don't think there really is with australians to be honest
0: no and they talk about things so i mean they they pull no punches but like you know male and female co-hosts and they just openly talk about things that i probably would only talk to my husband about and i'm like i didn't realize i was a prude until I heard how freely they spoke of body parts
1: and just <laughs> and my, you're like excuse me
0: <laughs> yeah I guess I am gonna clutch my pearls here I didn't realize I had that within me but good to know
1: let me tell you I am currently reading a book series that I did not ever set out to read and I'm I'm loving every bit of it but there are parts of it that I literally have to put the book down and be like Ian I gotta tell you this <laughs> because, yeah, like
0: I can't tell anybody else other than somebody who has seen my my naughty bits.
1: Yeah, like I need you to explain this to me. Help me here. And he's like, oh dear God. <laughs> oh. The man is okay. like the man is like vicariously reading the entire series through me. Like he knows exactly what's going on. And the funny thing is, is it's not that it's it's a high fantasy series. There's not a ton of the naughty bits, but when they're there, right. you're like, oh my god okay okay <laughs> so all right i'll start my story yeah
0: i'm excited um children are playing on a hillside gravel mine like you do like kids do right like this was back in the 90s so this is when we were all feral <laughs> and they find the first graves uh one runs home to tell his mom mom is like you didn't find graves and then the boy Produces a skull, a human skull,
1: as you do to prove to mom that you found a grave.
0: Yep, and so now mom is like, "Holy crap! Perhaps you found a grave." (laughs) Yeah, perhaps, perhaps you kids are onto something. And so this is 1990 in in Griswold, Connecticut, and the police, when they originally roll up, they think that these burials might be linked to a local serial killer named Michael Ross. Okay, and so they tape off the the whole area. And they realize fairly quickly that the brown decaying bones are basically more than a century old. And that's when they bring in Connecticut State archaeologist Nick Bellantoni. And he's determining that this is a colonial era farm cemetery. Okay. And the thoughts are, okay, this is fairly common in New England. There's scads of unmarked family plots. And in this one plot, they find 29 burials that are typical of the 1700s, early 1800s. And the dead, here's where it gets kind of sad. Many of them are children because, you know, life expectancies and child mortality rates. Um, They're all laid to rest in what is described as a thrifty Yankee style, simple wooden coffins. They don't have jewelry on. Most of them are not wearing a lot of clothing. And you got to think about it. Clothing was pretty hard to come by. Right, And so, you you know, if if you could, you know, hand me down that robe, that whatever, you would. And many of them have their arms resting by their sides or crossed over their chests. Okay. That is, except for burial number four. Okay. And and Bellantoni, he's immediately interested in this grave, even before the excavation begins. It's only one of two stone crypts in the cemetery.
1: Okay, the rest are just simple, like six feet deep burials. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. But the,
0: I mean, one or two stone crypts, and your eyes don't go to it first. I don't know how you how you go for the the standard graves when there's crypts there. I mean, their priorities were a bit different than mine.
1: Yeah, I would have gone straight for the
0: crypts too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they immediately start scraping away soil with flat edge shovels and brushes and bamboo picks. And they're working through trying to unearth this. And that's when Bellantoni lifted the first of the large flat rocks that formed the roof. And he uncovered the remains of a red painted coffin and a pair of skeleton feet. Just the feet? Well, that's what he sees first because there's like a series. Oh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I gotcha. Yeah.
0: So he can only open the first chunk. And that's that's the first thing he sees. And he says it's in perfect anatomical anatomical position. And then he raises the next stone, and he sees the rest of the individual had, quote, been completely
1: rearranged, unquote.
0: The skeleton had been...
1: You got to rearrange them so they can't get back together. Well, from your lips (laughs) to God's ears. (laughs) Because the skeleton
0: had been beheaded, the skull and thigh bones rested atop the ribs and vertebrae to look like a skull and crossbones motif, you know, like a Jolly Roger. And he said he'd never seen anything like it. And then subsequent analysis shows that the beheading had come along with other injuries, including rib fractures, and that these had occurred about five years after death. (laughs) Oh, and, and somebody's also smashed the coffin. Of course. For good measure. Of course. And so then the other skeletons in the gravel hillside are packaged for reburial, but not JB, the one that they've, from this the stone crypt. Um, he is a 50-ish year old male skeleton from the 1830s. And they call him JB because of the initials that were spelled out in brass tacks on the coffin lid. Okay. Which... That just seems so hardcore and so gothic, you know, like I didn't, I wanted a Viking funeral pyre, but I think I can be talked into a gaudy stone crypt in the, (laughs) if if it's only one of two in the cemetery.
1: Like if I can't have a pyre, I'll take a gothic crypt. I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I am a hundred percent with you on this. Yeah. (laughs)
0: And so he shipped to the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Washington, D.C. for further study. And meanwhile, Bellantoni and Tony, he starts networking. He's inviting other archaeologists and other historians. And they look they take a tour of the excavation. And he's like basically like, hey, what the hell do you guys think is happening here? Like, I'm I'm out of my depth. So he's he's phoning a friend.
1: And, right. showing and then there his- is the one historian there who also loves the paranormal and read a few books and has been like, hey. You don't cross bones bones for no reason. Just saying you're not on
0: like, I mean, so give me give me a couple
1: couple of paragraphs
0: because you are right on track. So <laughs> in the course of his research, he makes a call to a dude named Michael Bell, who is a Rhode Island folklorist. And if you go from archaeology to folklorist, you are running out of theories. <laughs> you are running out of options. <laughs> right. And that's when we are officially grasping at straws and we are hoping that somebody knows what the fuck is going on.
1: This is like um, taking like um you know when an archaeologist finds something and they can't figure out what it is and they take it to their grandma and their grandma's like, "Oh, you spin your yarn on that for knitting." But they pulled it out of the ground and it's been there for 5,000 years. Same thing. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, there was there was an ancient Sumerian, they kept finding these little pots. Yeah. And, and they were just like, what are these? And the male archaeologists were like, it had to be for men to, like, maybe it's a nutty pot, maybe it's, and they show it to a woman, and a woman looks at it and goes, it's a baby bottle.
1: Yeah, same, it's the exact same thing, like, um, yeah. same energy. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, only calling Mulder instead of your mom. <laughs> yeah. I want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> And so there, the folklorist he had spent basically the previous decade discover, like exploring, researching, uh, New England vampire exhumations, and the Griswold case occurs about the same time as the other cases that Bell's investigated, and so the, you know the timing's right, the setting's right. Griswold is a rural agrarian; it's bordering the southern Rhode Island where multiple exhumations had occurred. And then many of the other vampires like JB had been disinterred, grotesquely tampered with, and then reburied. And in light of the tales that Bell is telling him of the violated corpses and post rib fractures, they, they all begin to make sense. And then we see that the, like the, the rib fractures likely occurred because they were rummaging through his chest, hoping to remove and probably burn his heart yeah okay and it's, that checks it, it's about this time that one of the colleagues asks you ever heard about the Jewett City Vampires <laughs> like just do you know casually about the over Jewett coffee City?
1: <laughs> yeah do you know about the Jewett City Vampires um I'm not sure that I do I okay. know I I think I know of JB but I don't I the, the name Jewett doesn't ring a bell to me so Okay, so in 1854,
0: one article says it's a neighboring city. Um, When you look it up, you see that Jewett City is actually a borough of Griswold. Okay. So basically same area, right? Um, Still in Connecticut, town people exhumed several corpses suspected to be vampires that were rising from their graves to kill the living. There's a few newspaper accounts of these events that survives, and had the griswold like so basically they're asking like had this grave been desiccated for the same reason that the jewett city vampires did and what we need to kind of go back in time is that there was this whole like aura of fear that happened right like there's tons of of areas in connecticut and the surrounding area that use satan or hell or the devil in how they describe
1: Right. And, right, and right, like
0: the So basically, it's just steeped in fear of darkness and Satan and like underworld and the whole nine. And this is about 40 years before Bram Stoker would publish Dracula.
1: You said 40 years being... before?
0: Yeah. Okay. I was so, making sure I got the
1: timeline right. So
0: basically, like all this is happening, Bram Stoker is writing notes. Right, right, right. Okay. So, but we, we I just want to set the scenes. So we have an understanding of what is happening here. Um, the And it's the article, one of the articles says that the type of the parasitic entities that the Connecticut re- residents thought that existed, they're not debonair, romantic, or bloodsuckers of fiction. They're not, you know, the, the Count Vlad, Edward, or Lestat, the, you know, the vampires of the 19th century. They're more of the zombie-like rise from the grave and to find nourishment in the blood of family members. Right.
1: Okay that is very like, unfortunate
0: this reminds me like i'd heard of mercy brown do you know who mercy brown
1: is the name rings a bell is she the one um t- tuberculosis Am yeah I- so
0: she got she has a tuberculosis she dies in the middle of winter the ground's frozen so they can't bury her and so they put her in a, a coffin in the backyard sort of deal um basically like she's gonna freeze solid we will we'll bury her in the spring and because tuberculosis is a communicable disease her family members start dying
1: yeah okay, and okay
0: the the villagers are like oh my gosh it must be her rising from the dead and because she's frozen she hasn't decayed so that's an indication of vampirism and
1: <laughs> science
0: people you know what I- <laughs> right and so it's like obviously and then because when you die it, you know, your skin recedes from your cuticles, making it look like your nails have grown. Oh, right, Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of biological things that occur. And so they're like, oh my gosh, she's still living, you know? And so they end up desecrating her body. And I think they end up like, if I'm not mistaken, and I didn't do a ton of like verification on this, they end up pulling her heart from her chest burning it making a tonic of it and then making her sick brother drink that tonic because that should fix it um and oh, he dies god he does yeah, you, you don't
1: say, you don't say
0: yeah apparently that kind of folk medicine didn't didn't quite pan out but anyhow so back to the jewett city vampires so basically there's this family called the rays of jewett city and over the course of nine years they lose multiple people in their family to consumption, you know, modern day tuberculosis, the Victorian of Victorian illnesses mm-hmm. and the first to die. Of a mysterious <laughs> so gothic. <illness. laughs> I mean, it is the quintessential. <laughs> like, it's either going to be that or childbirth. That that's the only that's way that's it die in or,
1: oh, or falling down the stairs.
0: I'll accept it. I'll okay. accept falling down the stairs for 200, Alex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So the first to die is 24-year-old Lemuel. Lemuel? It's like Samuel, but with Le, it's just Sam. Okay. Uh, In 1845, and then less than four years later, so there's a four-year gap, the family patriarch Henry B. Ray dies by the same illness. And then two years later, 26-year-old Elisha goes. So that's like a decent time period with years in between, but apparently they're assuming, well, they died like a decade ago. So it must be the same per. Like I, the logic train fails. I would like to see like more six months kind of deal as opposed to like multiple years.
1: Yeah. Because you would think like, what are they, are they rising every two years to have a bite to eat? Like.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, Four years later, and that's when they finally got hungry?
1: Well, yeah, that's f- what I'm saying. Like, that's just silly.
0: Yeah. Okay, but anyhow, three years later, 1854, the oldest son, Henry, now starts getting the same symptoms. And that's when panic sets in. And they're convinced they're dealing with something that's well beyond the normal disease, as opposed to like, hey, this is kind of how people are, are opting out of life. Like, this is just kind of the thing. It's all the rage yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, if you were in France, it would be, what, syphilis? Um,
1: (laughs) You know, look. Every country's got one.
0: Right. (laughs) Spin your wheel, pick your poison. Um, So they're deciding that they need to do something drastic to really kind of offset all of this. And so according to newspapers at the time, the pure intent is to protect the living, not necessarily like to desecrate the dead. Um, so they decide to dig up the decomposing bodies of uh, Leniel and Elisha and burn them immediately. Although it appears that they they don't go after uh, the body of Joseph Sr. It's believed that this incendiary action did the trick because it history doesn't say a specific date for Henry's demise, so it seems that he survived this affliction. Okay. So it's kind of like, he didn't die. We were right. We stopped it. We stopped the vampires. Woo! I know. Kind of gross. And so that happens two miles away from Hopeville, where the original 29 graves that I started the story were found.
1: Two? You said two miles?
0: Yeah. Okay. And I, I want to say it was about 40 years There was like a 40 year gap between these two areas, but then like 40, you know, like two miles away. So you have kind of a, like a setup where, like, you remember when I did the dancing plagues Mm -hmm. and how like, that wasn't the first dancing plague and it wasn't the last, it was just kind of the biggest and it, but it was all within the same geographical region. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there was kind of this setup for this is how you deal with stress and having a mental break and, you know, yeah. So some
1: of us dance, some of us have vampire problems, whatever.
0: Exactly. I mean, some of us dance till our our feet break and we fall over dead and then the others of us just, you know, feel that the only way to survive tuberculosis is to dig up those you love.
1: Yeah. Clearly. Well, like
0: think about that. Your kid dies and you have to stomach the thought of disinterring them and desecrating their body. Not a chance. You know what I mean? Like there is some deep seated darkness there that you would have to go through. Like that is a lot for a therapist to unpack.
1: Yeah, and that really wasn't a thing back then either. So it's really more of a lot for a bottle of alcohol to unpack. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. even if I mean you're you're not
0: going to assume my kid's a vampire. Unless that unless you've gone through the full list and, and tried everything else. Yeah. I mean it's so easy for us to look at it and be like and so they thought vampire as opposed to being like no that probably took a decent period of time before they got there because it took years for the Ray family to go okay we've lost three people it's got to be vampire it's you know we've tried everything else we've rubbed some dirt on it we tried walking it off we you <laughs> know it, this hasn't worked
1: we rubbed dirt on it works for everything else I mean,
0: shoot, that's an that's something I grew up doing. It's like we're some dirt on it.
1: You'll yeah, be fine.
0: Yeah. You can eat dirt. Dirt's fine. It's not gonna kill you. Yeah. Everybody eats dirt. Yeah.
1: Dirt's our friend.
0: Okay, so the Okay, so when we're going back to that grave in Hopeville with the red coffin, um, when they they looked at it. It did show signs of consumption, as did several of the family members. So they're like, "Yeah, of, co- of course. This is this is definitely one of those vampire burials." Obviously. And even though, <laughs> I mean, but you know, it's like you can see that they they had tuberculosis in their systems, and then you can see this this response. So it does match both time and place. Okay. So we've got motive. We've got opportunity. Now uh, that's sad. It really is, especially when you think about how you all the steps you have to go through as a grieving family to get to that place. Yeah. Um, so even though it's, it's all speculation, it does seem that we have consumption ravaging the entire Ray family before somebody recalls that situation two miles away with the Walton family up the road. And so they had done the exact same tried and true preventative action to rekill the dead. Ugh. To yeah, and obviously, like this, these are other cases. I mean, I've I, we brought up Mercy Brown, and you don't have a great New England vampire panic with only two cases. You know what I mean? Like there are <laughs> others. These are just
1: yeah, But you I feel like say something? no, I I was, but no, keep, go on. I I was gonna make a joke, and then I decided it was not necessary. I mean...
0: I'm basically at the end of my story. I mean, if you want to make a joke, go for it. I'm not, I'm not going to like serve up more more child vampires.
1: No, it wasn't even funny. <laughs> so I took oh, it back.
0: Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That gives me less to edit out later when you when you text me to go delete that, delete that. I Please can't let that on the that. internet.
1: Oh my god, I can't believe I said that <laughs> out loud
0: with <laughs> my voice, my own brain, <laughs> using my mouth hole,
1: <laughs> and then you had to hear it with your ear holes. I'm so sorry yeah Mm -hmm. my apologies (laughs)
0: please accept these cupcakes that are being instacarted Um, (laughs) so i what ends up being interesting is that there's a book that kind of chronicles this it's michael e bell's food for the dead on the trail of the new england vampires
1: Mm.
0: which feels like something i wish i would have known and like you know kind of been like I'm gonna pocket the story and I'm gonna read the book and I'm gonna really enjoy this. But it, then it'll be like a three- part episode as opposed to like, you know, doing a quick and dirty one now. <laughs> so but I mean one of the th- one of the articles ends on this line that I feel it, it, it kind of makes sense. you know, it, we look at it as extreme, but in retrospect, we know it wasn't necessary, but making extra sure that the dead stayed dead made everyone feel better. and that doesn't suck, right?
1: I guess.
0: (laughs) I mean, but it's like, you think about it, it's like, okay, you have to go through all of that mental issue to get people through it, to grieve, to come together, to heal. It's like, if this is what it's going to take, it sucks, but it is what it is.
1: I guess, yeah, I I always think about the fact that like, these are also the same area of people that assume that just because you know how to get rid of a headache and you happen to not wear pants that you're a witch you know like it's the same the same logic of uh of and and the funny thing i guess well it's not funny the the other thing to that is that their actions are out of fear right Mm. so fear does weird things to how your brain processes stuff i mean it
0: shuts down so you you have an inability to process stuff
1: right so it's this it's such an interesting thing that like i understand that this is a a geographical location of you know not very far from one another type thing so i could really see the the similarities and the oh well if this happened over at the walton farm then that's clearly what we have to do here because it's obviously the same problem. Like I very much yeah. see how people's brains work like that, but like you have to wonder if at any point there was someone in the back going, "I don't." Actually... <laughs> you
0: know, it had to be because it took years for them to do that to the Waltons. Right. Years. So it was somebody going, "Uh, look, maybe, maybe not." Maybe we should just wash our hands and I eat was more greens just gonna say and that. drink more water.
1: Perhaps if we just, you know, wash our hands. Yeah. Like, have we eaten a vegetable today? Yeah. It's, it's sad, but it's such an interesting... I love the way humanity works at trying to solve its problems, even in its gruesomeness. Like, Oh, well, clearly, that, we need to break their bones. That's when we need to desecrate these graves. Otherwise, it's just going to keep happening. It's the superstition of it all, I guess. Well, and you think about it, how many... Like, there
0: have been multiple superstitions or things that we have done as a race that has actually progressed us to move forward. Yeah. Like, if you hear something in the woods, no, you didn't. Mm. Oof, it's life-saving. And it's like... You know, actually I don't need to use my Caucasian curiosity to go venture into the woods because I hear a woman screaming when it's actually a mountain lion.
1: I'm really it's okay. I know that I'm a white woman who wears leggings and flip-flops. I don't actually need to go in the woods. It's fine. Yeah, just because you think You, you know, already, what I mean? no, yeah, you didn't. exactly that. Yeah. But I also don't live um, in Appalachia, so there's that.
0: But we do have cougars in both of our backyards and that's true. Like, like there was there have been like some cougars in certain screams do sound like women screaming. Oh yeah. And they if do. you heard a woman screaming, you might try to help, as opposed to running straight towards an apex predator.
1: Yeah, I mean that's true. I did have this experience of all superstitious experiences the other night. Our bedroom windows were open ian was sound asleep and i was happily reading when all of a sudden i hear footprints in the backyard and i'm like oh no what is that like though that's not cat feet that's like something with some weight to it yeah and then i hear him again and i hear him again and i'm like what the heck and then right underneath my window i hear oh my god what is that so the first thought that comes to my mind is it's probably the dog next door got into our backyard.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm with you there.
1: Right. So I get up and I go to the window and I'm looking and I can't see him anywhere. And then I hear feet again. And I'm like, oh my God, what? It there's Maybe that maybe it's a person in our backyard until it occurs to me that I am hearing two sets of feet every time this individual walks. So I am convinced now it is the dog next door. He walks all the way through the flowers, all the way around the pool, and back to the other side. And I kid you not, for a solid 15 to 30 seconds, we just looked at each other in the dark. Like him trying to figure me out. And you or
0: the animal? Okay. Because I was just like, okay.
1: Yeah. But for that 15 seconds of staring at him, I was like, is this going to be, have to wake Ian up and tell him there's a strange animal in our backyard that is not the neighbor's dog? Mm. or that el chupacabra's here or any of the old gods have returned hmm how do i go about doing this right and then i looked at him and said hey go home and just like that he was gone so the next couple days i go out there and i'm like yeah it was definitely the neighbor's dog like he's left me gifts thank you so much Mm. Um and he also knows what Hey Go Home is because I tried it on him in the sunlight and he looked at me like, well that was rude but then turned around and went home <laughs> 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 I was like, okay, so you're my you're my midnight prowler, I'm here for this um yeah don't, don't have to worry about Cthulhu or anything like that, so we're doing alright so, but superstition the whole time, like, what is it? is it a mummy? is it a zombie? is Would it a Put it? Is it Dracula himself? That's a weird way to try to get in. Which I've been informed that my welcome mats are too welcoming and I should do something about it. <laughs> Superstition at its
0: finest. I mean, you're not wrong, but that's exactly it. Oh, absolutely. So you ready to call this episode so that I can figure out how to edit
1: all of this fun stuff? <laughs> all my clicks. I saw that, and you can't see the face I'm making back at you, but just know it's very similar. You know, I'm here for it.
0: Um, So (laughs) if you've enjoyed hanging out with us and you're thinking, yeah, I like these guys, give us a follow, give us a rate, or review us, and, uh, you know, really let us know what you think. But keep those one stars to yourself because we are the only single stars in our hearts. (laughs) And uh, if you're like, you know, I'm going to give these girls an email tell me what I really think you can do so at unhinged.historypod at gmail.com and on that note goodbye
1: bye